Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to this week's Man on the Post Extra Time. I am your host, Chris. Uh, with me this week, I've got uh, bleach drinking Justin. Hello. How are you? Doing fine. Not drinking bleach. Good man. <laughs> I've got Jesse. Uh, I'm going with warmed over Lysol and a splash of lemon. Excellent. I got Adam as well. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Cool. Right. We are still in the middle of our COVID no- uh, lockdown, so. Um, we're going to be continuing our series of what we have done in recent weeks, which is one member of the panel, uh, one member of the team, picks a game or a tournament that they want to talk about, and we go into a deep dive on that. So this week is Jessie's turn, and um, for her, she has picked the uh, career and goals of Cristiano Ronaldo. I gotta go. I, uh, <laughs> I'm ill, and it's not because of the lights off. No, go on. What have you picked? I picked um the world cup final of 1999 and you all are graciously here for the ride hey we're all here for that so the late the women's world cup final of 1999 so a bit of background on that then as i'm sure you uh know um the united states were the hosts they were champions in 1991 uh norway were champions in 1995 there were eight venues um a lot of these venues had sort of 60 70 000 seats didn't they they didn't sort of and they were packed out, weren't they? They weren't sort of tiny little places they chose. Yeah, I, but I wonder what that had to do with, like, if if that was a matter of just, um, you know, we don't really have smaller, we didn't at the time, had smaller venues. I mean, they get Um But it's, it, it's not like we... Um, are a nation of small portions no that is very true um okay so one stadium was giant stadium did you go did i go yeah oh unfortunately um i did not go to any of the of the matches in this tournament and i think i mean i'll have to go yell at my parents for this later but i wonder how much of that was just like there was very little um publicizing of this i do remember my my father videotaped all of the matches that were on west coast time on vhs mm-hmm. watch them later VHS, um, and I'm vhs is a mechanism that people used back in the day um it's like a dvd player only older um okay so uh yeah eight venues were chosen um there were 16 teams, Nigeria, Ghana, North Korea, uh, China, Japan, Brazil, Australia, Denmark, Germany, Russia, uh, Norway, Sweden, Italy, Canada, Mexico, and the United States. Only one Commonwealth representative, which I thought was quite strange. Um, 
So when we had Mark on a couple of weeks ago talking about the festival of fun that was Italia 90, he said that the sort of World Cup that means the most to you is the one where you're closest to your 14th birthday. So you were saying off air that, that you were 13 when this came into town. So what did it sort of, were you excited before the tournament? Were you really looking forward to this or, or what did it mean to you as a as something to watch? Um, so first of all, I just will jump right in and interrupt you like I do. Um, I don't, I think um, it's sort of remarkable that there was even one CONMEBOL representative because even now, um, as we saw in the last Women's World Cup, um, there is so much that women have to fight for um, from funding to support um, in, in Latin America. You know, they're still not professional. They still have to work one, two other jobs. Um, so I think the fact that, that there was even one is sadly kind of, you know, a step. Um, but I, I think this, the, the 99ers, um, were, it was the first time that I realized, maybe this is my own naivete, that, um, women could do this, you know, that this was even a path. Um, I think, you know, if you see videos of the, our team now of, um, there's a, there's a picture of Rose Lavelle in, I think, fifth grade, you know, holding up a Mia Hamm jersey, talking about how she wanted to be Mia Hamm when she grew up. And I think that for all of us, like, we'd only had male players before that to love and ident- and and try to identify with like I had a Beckham jersey um but th- you know the closest you could get was like I you know I wore number 10 on my rec shirt I didn't have a female number 10 I tried to like find a South American curly haired number 10 and that was as close as I could come like when when we saw Brianna Scurry and Michelle Akers pop onto the field it was it it was overwhelming. It was um, it was pretty, I think, um, moving and and boundary changing to see representation on a global level. And for me, like I was I was old enough to get that, but I was too young to really get stuck in the you know political issues. I didn't know they weren't paid enough. I didn't know that you know they were still only being written about by men. I didn't know that they were asked all kinds of shitty questions. I only saw these women doing what the men were doing and like, you know, giving all of me, like me and my friends a path. It was, yeah. it was amazing. Okay. Just what okay. your memories of, of this as well. Well, I'm obviously older and for me it was significant because I was working in the women's game as I still am today. So I was an assistant coach, a goalkeeper coach at, at Elon university in 1999 and, and, to see the women's game, which I had worked in since uh, that was already four, four or five years into my, my coaching career at that point, to see it get that much attention so suddenly was, as Jesse said, it was overwhelming. I don't have, I wouldn't, by by no means would I claim to have the same personal or, or emotional um, connection to it. But speaking quite cynically as someone working in the women's game at the time, I thought, well, this is good for my career. 
this this makes the game more viable. It, it, it made overnight household names out of half the players on that team. And suddenly we started seeing them. Jesse, I'm sure, remembers, but we started seeing them on commercials for everything. Every big company, every big corporation um, wanted wanted a piece of, of their sudden fame and popularity. So, um, and then, you know, the, the reason uh, for their fame and popularity was that they won it. Um, they, they're good. I mean, we tried to grow this game first on the men's side in this country, and, and the biggest limiting factor to the U.S. men's national team gaining popularity has been the fact that they've never been anything more than somewhat competitive um, and and competent on the world stage. Um, and suddenly the women were sort of the bullies of the women's game and still are today. And uh, that's an easy sell for Americans. They don't even have to understand what they're watching if they see you know their side winning. Was there a big build-up to it as well? In, in the way you do get pre-tournaments. Uh, there, there was again because I'm a little older and, and was working in the women's game. We certainly knew, you know, it was it was being put on. We were hosting it. We were the host nation, and 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 it was being promoted. But was there like this more so? Than... Sorry, I was just interrupted. Was just like was was there, um was like the adverts you get, you know, the Women's World Cup sponsored by Coca Cola and all that sort of thing. It was like a big sort of marketing build. Yeah, there there was just not as big as it is today. And that was the first time it was done. So it, I think it seemed big to me at the time because there had been previously nothing, um, no national exposure for the women's game at all. So to suddenly see it, um, to get to, to get the build up that it did get, um, I thought at the time was pretty good. And it was, it certainly did a good enough job to get the word out and to get it the coverage that it got. Um, again, I think that all goes back to the fact that it was an easy sell to the American public to say we've got a real chance to win this and we've never been able to say that on the men's side. Yeah. I remember there was more coverage, at, I mean which makes sense as we progress you know at the beginning um, we didn't really, I mean we knew who the women were because the majority of them had played in the previous cups but um, you know there was like Mia Hamm I think was on the Wheaties box um, after I think the semis and you know, they, they started to be on like morning TV shows and there was this sense of like, okay, now we can give them attention, you know, like now that they're winning, we will have commercials for them. Like I remember seeing them. Um, my brother was a big proponent of Saturday morning cartoons. And I do remember being excited that they like, they started to be on, on commercials for like weird things. Um, Justin, like you said, like it was like whatever we could get these women promoting, let's do it. So, as the cup progressed, I like I remember them selling maybe toothpaste or, you know, just just anything. Like there was this sense that it was like okay, and they're winning. Let's get them. Let's get them on television. I'm looking at some of the attendances here, um, and uh, Brazil, Mexico, which I suppose are a large Hispanic population. Uh, you'd probably expect this, but there were 79,000 people there. Brazil, Argentina, there were 65,000 people, um, and you were getting decent attendances for these things, weren't you? Did the launch of the MLS, do you think, maybe give a different avenue for for the women's game to prosper, or was was the MLS sort of way on the back burner at this point? I, mean, I think I the MLS was, yeah. Oh, go ahead, Jesse. No, uh, we, my father and I had season tickets to the um, 
Metro Stars from the beginning. So it was, like, I think it was 99. And Giant Stadium is big. I, I cannot give you numbers because I don't believe in American football or math. So I'll just say that it's big. And there were like 300 people the first couple seasons. You know, you'd go, you'd feel swamped. They would sort of push you towards the, the front so it felt full. I don't remember MLS being... Um, viable except with Latin markets like the the tailgating experience was a whole bunch of different Spanish um, dialects being spoken because people were so desperate for football so I wonder how much this had to do with it that it was just like I, and I don't know if this is true but people were like an MLS just you know Latinos so excited to get to watch um She's so excited. She's burst. Adam, what are your memories of this? I have zero memory of this, Chris, as I'm sure you do. No, no, no. I, was... I imagine it wasn't even on. T- I imagine it wasn't even on TV in this country at this point. Uh, no, I don't think it was. This was today was a whole brave new world to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've written down here who were the favourites, Justin, because I'm. I sort of had a little look back. So the United States won this in 1991. It came to the Concacaf Champions League in 94 where the united states played four games won four scored 35 let in one so they you know they were certainly a team to be reckoned with weren't they they're bullies uh and and i mean that in the best way but they yeah it took quite a while for there to be consistent competition for the u.s women's national team the game had to grow in other countries and ironically i think the game the women's game in, in more traditional football countries was held back by that um you know, if, if you're in a traditional football culture like Brazil or the Netherlands or England or Germany or France or Italy, you don't particularly, you don't feel a need. There, there, there isn't a, an entertainment gap of more football needed. Whereas in this country, it was sort of a blank slate. As Jesse mentions, MLS in those early years um, struggled to get a foothold in most markets. Uh, the attendance weren't great. I wasn't sure it was going to last. I wasn't sure it was going to make it. So, was the were they were they already built up from having because they won the the Olympic gold medal right in '96 in Atlanta as well. So what was did that build on the hype or it did? Yeah, I mean, again, there were they they'd won the '91 World Cup, the first one, and then I think as as Chris Chris told us, uh, Sweden or Norway, Norway, won yeah. the next, Norway. Norway won the next couple. But there were always only a couple of rivals. Um, it was only Norway, only Germany, that were re- only China that were realistically going to to to, to win the tournament too. So uh, you certainly got the sense that they were a great favorite, certainly especially as hosts. I just looked not up, guaranteed. Win it, but. I just looked up, Chris. Um, a women's World Cup wasn't on UK TV until two thousand and seven. Oh, really? Christ! I'm just pausing. <laughs> So the United States were drawn uh, in Group A with uh, Nigeria, who were the African um, champions, Denmark, who were unbeaten in qualifying, and North Korea. Uh, they breezed that, though. So they played those three games, 1-3, including a 7-1 demolition of Nigeria. So they um, scored 13, let in just the one. So they had a goal difference of 12. They found it a little trickier in the quarterfinal against Germany. Um, they went behind twice 
but uh, Joy Fawcett header from a corner sealed the win. And in the semi-finals uh, on July the 4th um, at Stanford Stadium, 73,000 people watched them beat Brazil 2-0. So it was Cindy Parlo uh, opened the scoring by mis- after a mistake from the uh, Brazilian keeper. And then Brianna Scurry was in on goal. Uh, oh, sorry, in the US goal, she made several saves. And then in the 80th minute, Mia Hamm fouled in the box and Michelle Akers scored. Um, Michelle Akers, who uh, she retired the following year with, I'll check this out, 153 caps, um, which is tiny in comparison to Mia Hamm's 276. But then you've got Christine Hovey, uh, played from 1987 to 2010, 354 caps. Yeah, Michelle Akers, though, played her entire career with chronic fatigue syndrome. Did she? And team. Yep. Okay. Uh, she, aside from having the most spectacular curly mullet ever on the planet, um, and should be lauded for it, um, yeah, she has, I think was diagnosed in college, I may be wrong, but played with chronic fatigue, um, captain the team, and now rescues horses okay right well, I'm she's a very 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 cool person we uh we got to train with her she came out and trained um when i was playing with the orlando lions and she joined in in some off-season kick arounds at times and she struck a ball pretty much as well as anyone that i've ever had a had shooting at me which includes john hewitt who won the cup winners cup for aberdeen that's pretty cool. Well, as I've got a daughter with chronic fatigue as well, I'm going to make a definite note of that. Who are your favourite players, guys, in this tournament? Or favourite American players? Michelle Akers, for me, is is just watching her play and listening to her, listening to the other players speak about how she was, like, the mother of the team. And this team loved each other so much. Um, you could not help but be in awe of her. Mm-hmm. Um and I just want to listen to Justin talk about Brian Ascari, um, who also retired early because of concu- post-concussion syndrome. Okay. Um, but I just love, I mean, this team was, I think, so formative for me that I cannot talk about them without total bias. Um, Brandy Chastain is, is spectacular, and I'm sure we'll talk about that, that penalty kick that she shot on her weak foot um, and had, like, you know, a generation of girls whipping off their shirts in inappropriate places. Um, and and Christine Lilly is just astounding. I think that this this team did so much to shape the style of American football and give it some. Okay. Justin, do you have a favorite play? Um, yeah, well, obviously I was a, a big fan of Brianna Scurry, but, but really I would say Carla Overbeck, who was the captain, she was already, I think, 30, 31 by the, the time of this of the 1999 tournament. So she had been part of the 91 um, championship side. And she was sort of like the very calm, um, influencing in, uh, as, as, as a center back. Um, and, you know, Jesse said an interesting thing there. This team really played with, with quite a nice style, even though the final, if people watch the final, it's on YouTube and the final's not good. But, but um it was sort of a freewheeling attacking side that, that, that took risks and got numbers forward. We morphed as a country. We morphed into a, a sort of an efficient um, machine-like squad that, that, that wins mostly on the basis of individual brilliance of a few players and, and overwhelming physicality. 
But uh, we weren't necessarily confined to just that back then. Tony Tony DeChico was the manager, and he was um, he was a goalkeeper guy, and and he thought about the game and in 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 cerebral ways, and and so they they actually did try to play, which was nice. But I like Carl Overbeck a lot for that calming influence as a center back, and then Mia Hamm as an attacking player was very tricky and and skillful, and and could could engineer chances for herself when you didn't really think there was anything on. They were fun to watch. Tony Dechico, was he on the Sopranos? No, he he, is, he was Italian, though. Yeah? Yeah, yes. he died, Justin, he, was it last year already? A few years ago. I think it's been three years now. Oh. Um, yeah, I think that exactly what you said, Justin. They were, fu- they were fun to watch. They really enjoyed themselves on the pitch and they each they had real individual personality but they played so well together um yeah great so i guess the final uh the final is uh united states versus uh china so this was 34th place at the last tournament um 90,000 people packed into the pasadena rose bowl which was the scene i think of the 1994 men's world cup final wasn't it um and the conditions looked similar they looked like a it looked like an absolute baking hot Californian day, didn't it? Um, what were your thoughts leading up to this? Are you sort of excited from the semi-final onwards, Jesse? Yeah, I um, again was I I had a really long bus ride home, the school bus, because I was the last stop, um, and I remember being very nervous that for some reason somebody was going to like tell me the score, even though I don't think Americans at the time, like, could spell the word soccer. Um, But I was very anxious about getting home and, like, raced home, and we had to rewind the VHS, because that's what you had to do, Adam, with the VHS. You had to rewind (laughs) it to the beginning. Um, And my father had taped over some like family I don't know it was like a VHS of like my brother and me playing when we were little and we were all in the basement and we were like okay get past the you know we don't need to see my brother and me playing with I don't know puppies um and like you're all maybe if you're inspired to watch this game realize this was not the most exciting game but I was so excited by it so the game kicked Um, off at one o'clock in the afternoon didn't it yeah I always assumed that would be at the weekend so this was a weekday was it yeah it was a school day um, America, you know, we don't do things well. Uh, I don't. I don't think it's that. I think it's probably more FIFA and, and the amount of cares they have for women's football. Also true. Well, I, Chris and Justin, you were saying like the camera angles for the penalty shootout was, you know, Justin posted it on Twitter. It's like somebody realized right before the game and like called their, you know, Aunt Judy who had the camera to sort of go take pictures. They're so bad. Um, so the game kicked off one thing i took from this watching early on is the commentator got very excited anywhere anytime the ball got anywhere near the penalty area so even if a sort of a throw-in came in or something like that he got sort of very excited as if he was expecting something to happen every single time it was quite exciting to watch actually with that you know who the commentator was no this was the men's yeah there was two wasn't there i don't know who who was it Oh, if it was know. on the, yeah. if it was, he was American, it was J.P. Della Camera. Oh God, J.P. Della Camera and Shep Messing. Somebody needs to write a documentary about the unique terribleness of the two of them. Shep Messing, my favorite thing is that he starts every sentence with, you know, if you're the American national team, what you're really going to want to do is put the ball in the goal. Like this is, <laughs> and I'm sorry, Justin, I know he's one of yours. 
former keeper. But you're like, really? No, is that how this sport works? Okay, great. No, good. Thank you. Keep I thought, it up. I thought you were going to say something like Gerardo Riviera or something like that was the sort of... <laughs> oh, it's just... It's... it's, it's um, That's, that, it oh, that sounds like Steve McManaman-esque, where he's like, you didn't want to do that. Oh, really, Steve? Is that what you didn't want to do Yeah, that? it's like... And he says it with such intensity. So, yes. so JP, what you're really going to want to do is you're, you're going to want to score before the other team. <laughs> like it's some sort of ta- some sort of tactical revolution. Saki's <laughs> Milan. Um, Down. So the game started off, um, and basically, it, what it looked like at the start is there was lots of sort of American pressure, and the Chinese were quite happy to soak that pressure up because although the Americans had the ball, I don't seem to remember the goalkeepers working particularly hard, especially early on. Any sort of cross that came in. The goalkeeper had to sort of caught easily or was headed away by the Chinese defence. The, Amer- the Chinese were very happy to let the Americans have the ball, weren't they, Justin? Yeah, they were. I mean, that, that was that was it was actually a, a, a really successful tactical plan they had to draw the Americans forward and try to hit them on the counter attack. I mean, it's pretty common to, to that that low block today. Um, for instance, playing away from home in a, in a Champions League tie with away goals or something. And they, they executed it pretty successfully, and, and they more or less said, we're not going to scrap and try to win 50-50 balls in midfield against a physically bigger team. We'll sit a little bit deeper and give them space to play in front of us, not give them space to play in behind and use speed, and, and draw them forward and hit them on the counterattack. It was, it was successful because uh, my recollections of it, and from, from watching a bit of the game back today, they just missed the final ball on a couple really promising counterattack chances. So you could see that was how they were trying to play. They didn't translate it into chances for themselves, but they learned to, to really almost nothing. Yeah, uh, so I got the um, seventh minute. It was a free kick into the area, which um, Michelle Akers couldn't really sort of get properly at the far post. That was quite a, a sort of decent chance for her, I thought. And then at the 11th minute, she sort of had to go for about 35 yards out. And then Zhao Hong in the Chinese goal, she gathered it. I didn't see a Chinese chance really till the 34th minute when they hit a sort of free kick way over the bar. Um, Adam, what did you reckon to the sort of highlights so far? Um, the, um, the highlights I can remember, the thing I remember is the clearance off the line. That's the that big... Was, yeah, that's, that's where... Yeah. Okay, that's my big take. That was my big takeaway. Like like Justin said, I don't remember an awful lot else happening. No, no, and I I think that that um, that explains why the commentator was reacting as he did. He knew that they had a very big first time audience for this game. Yeah. A lot of people said, "Hey, you know, I I'll give it a try." I've heard heard so much hype, and then there's not much happening. So I think he he tried to inject a little bit of artificial attacking intent into the game when there actually wasn't that much. Fair enough. Um, 38th minute, Michelle, because she goes uh, crashing into the advertising hoarding. This was already after she had um, challenged for a header and landed on top of both her own player and the Chinese player. Uh, and then she goes and clears a defensive header all the way up to the halfway line, sort of Cannavaro S. She was absolutely everywhere in this, wasn't she? She was imperious. Yeah. I mean, again, this is like free any kind of, of shot at concussion protocol. Um, but Michelle Akers was just all over the place. Um, and I think, you know, like we talked about last time in Adam's favorite, uh, World Cup, um, this was before, this was before 
broadband, you know, abil ability to really um, know what other teams are doing. So these were not teams that were very familiar with each other, and there there were no, there was not a professional women's league. So now where these women play with each other on a weekly basis, and they really know each other's style, this was a team that was still, these were two teams that were still really not not used to each other and not used to each other's style. So they, I think um, that lends itself to a lot of crashing. Um, you know, not a lot of seamlessness there. Well, she's kind of everywhere. She Because she was wearing number 10, wasn't she? So she was playing sort of central defence and then she'd be at the other end sort of threading through balls or trying to finish off chances. She was, for someone who was concussed, she was certainly running around a lot and contributing a lot. Yeah, but I think that that's a final, too. I mean, you're very aware that it's your last shot. Yeah. Um, yes, because she retired the following year, didn't she? So this was yeah. very much her sort of her final shot at it. And then sort of 40 minutes, Cindy Cohn had a... Um, she had a chance where she sort of headed a long ball into the area, but that went straight to the Chinese keeper. Um, and that was pretty much that for the half, wasn't it? It was not an awful lot happened. It was an incredibly cagey game. Yeah, but isn't that... I mean, that, again, that is a World Cup or a tournament final. Like, everybody's nervous. Nobody wants to give up the first mistake or give up the first goal. So, looking back, like, that, that's not unusual. No, and I was wondering as well, I mean, you probably answer this just in as well, the conditions, because this is California in the middle of July and it was a hot, sunny day. So, you've, I imagine you played in conditions similar to this. So, what does it do to you as a sort of outfield player physically and mentally um, and as a goalkeeper as well when you've got nothing to do and you're sort of stood there cooking? Well, I mean, I, I don't mean to contradict you, but that for me, <laughs> Southern California is nowhere near as hot and humid as Florida. So um, okay. <laughs> uh, that would have been what I would have uh, Justin, which I'm terrified to do. So you guys may have to come in into a rescue mission. I live in California and I think it is like immoral maybe illegal to force players to play in the afternoon in july i mean now like dallas will not play its games before six o'clock p.m yeah summer, i mean summer in pasadena is disgusting right i i'm not saying it would have been a, a great experience it just still would have been worse in, in florida but um like maybe they should have planned like maybe they should have had this match not in if they were going to have it in the Rose Bowl maybe have it later just you know yeah. I, I don't want to no you know what I do like would they have done this to the men I don't know well, the men well they did, did kick off didn't they, 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 kick yeah, off they did in 19, and they did in 1994 I mean yeah. they played one o'clock kickoffs in Orlando it was insane um, you That's really dumb. fear for the players health yeah, yeah. I remember the Irish yeah. team kicking properly off about that yeah should have <laughs> And, and I'll remind you that where the next World Cup's being played as well. Well, again, I mean... So. Yeah. And it's not like, you it know, at least, in, at least in Qatar, we could say there was an unethical, you know, money grab and there's some, like, good, honest corruption happening. Pasadena doesn't have oil. <laughs> well, I think it's, if you... It's just full-on incompetence of administration. <laughs> exactly. 
exactly. I think maybe if we're thinking of a worldwide audience, you, I mean, from where we are, um, California is eight hours behind us. So if you sort of add on eight hours from one o'clock in the afternoon, maybe they were trying to appeal to European audience. I know that was what they were doing in the 94 World Cup final. But it wasn't on TV, Chris. What World Cup audience? What world audience? It was. They hadn't sold any broadcasting rights in the UK. No. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to get something out of it, at least, like, get some human rights abuses out of it, you know, uh, an election or two. This is, again, goes back to something I've, I've wanted for a long time. There should only be one time. It should be the same time everywhere all the time. Like very Do you very want to live otherwise. in the middle of the night? Do you always Doesn't want matter. to live? Yep. Okay. I just want to know what time it is, Jesse. That's all that matters. <laughs> I, I understand there would be massive logistical problems. And it would probably impact the world negatively in every possible metric, but I would right. like I, I I suggest you live in either Arizona or Argentina where they don't do time differences. Do you know what yeah. fault it is that you have time differences? Probably the English. I mean, it's it your your <laughs> People's weight by potato sacks. Yeah, I'm afraid it's all our fault. We had regional times, and it's when the invention of the railways came along. We set a standard time. We thought, well, why we're doing it for us, we might as well do it for the rest of the world, seeing as we own it. So, our fault, I'm afraid. Hold on, what? (laughs) Okay, so when the advent of the railways. It's our fault that there's time zones. Is that what you're saying? Say that again. What are you trying to say? What are we about? Okay, so where I am. The sun goes down 20 minutes later than where you are due to, you know, how far west I am. So yeah. before the 1800s and the advent of the railway, lots and lots of places had their own individual times in this country. So as soon as the railways come along and everywhere is interconnected a little bit differently, the timetables are all to cock. So they um, so they standardised the time within this country to make to sort it out with the railway timetables. And because of the British Empire and we own most of the world, we thought, well, let's set the time for everybody because we're British and we can do that. But people needed time, Chris. I don't know what. <laughs> yeah, that's why we've got different times Sorry, in different places in the world. People to have just your facial expressions, and it's like who's going to call bullshit on it first? Should be a game. <laughs> you can't. No, this is God's honest truth. It was on horrible histories. <laughs> <laughs> like watching Adam's eyebrow and Justin's eyebrows, <laughs> like. It's, it's just the best thing. Adam's got an Ancelotti eyebrow that he raises when he sort of <laughs> he doesn't believe what's, what's being said. Well, I think you're talking shite. <laughs> Honestly, that's the God's honest truth. That's why we have different time zones and why we have um, what's why it's set in Greenwich because that's where it's met. Well, I understand the concept of globally different time zones, but you're saying there were actually different time zones within England at yes. one time. Yes, there, were. there is that Russia. I think Russia has twelve at the moment. Well, that's huge. Oh, that's a huge, massive. Yeah, I know that is also economic. Like, because you need to do business. Like Moscow needs to do business on Moscow time, so people in Smolensk have to be awake in the middle of the night because it's economic time zone in Moscow. So when the sun goes down here in Cornwall, yeah. it's gone down twenty minutes earlier for Adam further east in that way London. We all understand how geography works. <laughs> yeah. What do you think you're trying to explain to us? Here? So it, we would have had our own local time. We would have had our own local Cornish time for years and years. And then it had to be standardised with the railways. Too much homeschooling and things that every ch- everyone needs to learn about the sun. <laughs> you asked the question. And, I know, and, I asked, it was just the, wasn't it? The one I feel like you're answering a question that wasn't being asked. I mean, it was just, just, just a completely different point. Justin wanted to know why we couldn't have one time around the world, and I was explaining. 
No, what Justin wants is football to be played at a single time around oh, the world. Oh, sorry. Was that what you wanted? I thought you wanted everywhere in the world to be the same time all the while. I want both. I want everything. <laughs> so while it's midnight in the UK, even though the sun's up in, like, Sydney, Australia, it'd still be midnight. Is that what you wanted? Who cares? But, see, the people in Sydney wouldn't know that it's whatever time it is elsewhere. It doesn't matter. Oh, because for them, it would be 12 a.m. You would just adapt to your local time. You would say, wow, it's 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 3 a.m. <laughs> yes, it's not when you have lunch as opposed to... Right. Yeah. <laughs> sure it's hot and sunny here at midnight. Yeah. yeah but that midnight's a construct in your mind, Chris. Correct. Yeah, that's Adam, true. That's, that's true. where I'm going with this. People would still wake up some relative to when the sun comes up, and they would yeah. still go to sleep relative to when the sun goes down. The working day would still take place within those hours of sunlight. People would go to the park during the sunlight times. It wouldn't change life. It would just be a construct, a, a number. Thank so you, Adam. You, what you like, if we're going to go with that, why do we have to have numbers? Why can't we just call it like sunlight time and night time? Well... Because we need to know when Neighbors is on. That's true. Well, then you just cut Neighbors time. And oh, God, time. Breakfast time. It's 14 to Neighbors. What has happened to the podcast? My God. <laughs> okay. Well, look, let's go back. It's halftime. Let's just scrap this. Let's talk We've about only got the halftime. <laughs> Forget it. Let's jump the penalties, Chris. Okay. Well, look, okay. Into the second half. Um, 49 minutes. Michelle Akers from a corner. Heads high over the bar. Um, and then 55 minutes. An Olympic goal is nearly scored. We all know what Olympic goal is, don't we? Direct from a corner. Exactly. Uh, so the United States hit the bar direct from a corner. That's pretty exciting. The commentator is sort of head nearly came, or brains nearly came out of his head at that. Um, 58 minutes, Chinese have a corner, um, but it's sort of flicked wide by Sun Wen, who's the captain. She's quite a skillful player, isn't she? She was the number nine. She was like their star Chinese player, wasn't she? Yeah, yes. Sun Wen was fantastic. Yeah. And I think she was. She got golden or silver something at the end? Yeah, she got the most joint golden Jordan. goal. Thank you. Sorry, Evan. She won player of the tournament as well. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay, 80 minutes. Uh, United States have a free kick 20 yards out, which is straight to the Chinese goalkeeper. And then the last minute, the China, this is um, a big chance for China. Uh, they had the ball, I think it's Sun Wen again. She cuts in field to the edge of the D and she's about to shoot. And then Brandy Christian comes up with some sort of John Terry two-footed block, doesn't she? It was fantastic. Brandy Chastain, yeah. Yeah. Um... Um, and at the end of 90 minutes, it is nil-nil. United States have had five shots with four on target. China have had five shots with just the one on target. China conceded 20 fouls. United States conceded uh, 12. So that sort of gives you indication of how it's gone so far. Um, China sort of stepping up in extra time a little bit, don't they? Maybe because, like just in saying their game plan was to sort of contain the United States, they maybe got a little bit more energy. Um, 93rd, 94th minute, they sort of uh, burst into the sort of American box again without the goalkeeper having to work too much. Um, Sun Wen with a deflected shot in 99th minute, resulting with a corner. Adam, this is your clearance off the line from Christine Lilly. So, what happens here? Ball gets cleared off the line. Brilliant. How does it lead <laughs> up to that? Does she do it with a foot, with a bum, with a head? With a head. Okay. Head off the line. How does it come to her? You've got it written down. Why don't you tell I me? I've got it written down. No. Wow, oh. Adam, you could be an American commentator at this point with this kind of brilliance. <laughs> I think it's a header, isn't it? Ball, sort of, ball, ball comes in. Sort of like the, huh? You're telling me things I already know. It was headed off the line. No, before that. 
Ball sort of comes in from the corner. It's an outswing. It comes to about the penalty spot, and the Chinese player she heads it towards the goal. And there is uh, our woman on the post uh, who heads it away. That was exciting, wasn't it? Do you remember this yeah, bit, Jesse? Was your sort of heart also, in your mouth here? I'm gonna say. I know Adam was gonna jump in with this. Um, so Adam, I apologize for interrupting. Um, you know, but um, reading your mind here, that at this point, I think this was forget marking. Forget your position. Brandy Chastain, run back. Use both feet. Christine Lilly, get back. Michelle Akers, get forward. Like, this was scramble. Do what you need to do. I thought we were going to lose at this point. Oh, um, yeah. I, I, I thought that the, the, the impetus and momentum and the, the early dominance had gone. And we were quite badly fatigued by this point. And, and I thought that, uh, that, that it was just a matter of time for the Chinese got one. Yeah, my father, I remember at this point, kept saying, reminding me to breathe. Um, my fingers were going numb as a small child. Um, yes, it's very hot at this point. You can sort of see there's tired passes. Um, one of the Chinese players had the ball. She sort of could cross it in for the right, but there was this sort of tired waft of the boot, and the ball went straight into the advertising hoardings. The sort of game is really, or the conditions are really starting to take their toll at this point. Um and the game ends goalless after extra time and there's players lying on the pitch with sort of cold towels over the back of their necks and uh, frozen water bottles being guzzled down, isn't it? It really yeah, did like look quite impressive. Yeah. Rubbed, yeah. So I guess it's kind of a very hot, dry heat there, whereas what you were saying in sort of Florida would be a very humid heat. Is that a difference? Yes. Yes. I, I'm not, I'm not, listen, I'm, I, I shouldn't, I'm not discounting the discomfort that players might have had there. Just, it, it Florida's so extreme. It, it's, it's a different. Uh, the, the humidity will will do you yeah. in. It's almost That's impossible. Totally right. There's there's zero humidity in in Southern California. It's a desert. Um, so Pasadena is literally in in like the the cradle of this um, desert valley. Um, so it's just like there's no shade, and it is it is very dry, hot. So part of the issue is not when you're playing, but you don't realize how dehydrated you get. I suppose it's when you stop, isn't it? You yeah. suddenly realise, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so it comes to penalties. Uh, how is um, little Jessie in her house at this point in the game? I did not want to. I was doing that, like, very young child. Like, I'm not looking, but I'm peeking through my eyes. There's a there's a picture of me somewhere. Penalties are awful. Like, they are absolutely awful. And, I, and for the person who comes up with a better way, that person should be – that's how you should be the next um, president of FIFA. Penalties are they great. Shouldn't except... have to be elected. Penalties are terrible. No, they... You have just run your guts out, and and you're gonna. It's gonna be decided. And like, except for the Eloko Abreu Panenka, I have never, ever, ever, and this Brandy Chastain actually, I've never enjoyed a penalty shootout. It's terrible. They're great when your team aren't involved. Watching the players behind them like clutch each other. I understand that like there's less pressure on the goalies, but there's so much pressure on the goalies. It's just no fun. Justin, have you ever taken part in a shootout? What was that? Have you ever taken part in a shootout yourself? Um, it's always interesting to me when the moment you realize someone hasn't read your book. But uh, yes. I've read yes, lots I've... of books since yours. <laughs> I've bought your book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, thank you. Yes, yes, I've been in. in, in no, it's the sale you want, Justin. You don't care who reads it. That's <laughs> <laughs> true, yeah. Just buy it. Actually, I prefer people not read it, but but do buy it, please. Um, you, you thank me for that pillowcase later. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay. So 
I have read several books since yours, mostly recommended by Jesse. But um, go on, then. tell me about being in a penalty shootout. Then what your sort of role? Well, it's actually it, yeah for goalkeepers, it's actually the least um, amount of nerves and pressure that you're, you're likely to feel because I, I think the English phrase is hiding to nothing. I mean, you the, the pressure is on those taking the penalties. They've got you know you, someone's going to lose by missing. And False. the pressure is on those watching the yeah. penalties. <laughs> someone's going someone's to lose uh, and it, because they've missed a penalty, which they should, you know, mathematically speaking, they should they should score from the penalty from the spot. So um, there are names written into history, and they're not goalkeeper names from penalty shootouts. I won't name any of them now for respect of present company. But um, so for goalkeepers, you, you you go into it thinking, look, there's five. I'm absolutely certain, even at the highest professional level, that there will be at least one player who's not particularly confident about over their penalty, and chances are I'll, I'll save one, and that might be enough for my side to win. So uh, you see that as you see it as an opportunity to, to win a game. Okay. So, but Justin, like back then, you know that these two keepers, as good as they are, because they were both very competent keepers, they did not have like we talked about. They they didn't have the scouts, and they didn't have the footage. Of the like now, keepers spend hours watching footage of of the players that they're going to face taking penalties. These were not keepers who had that capability. So, I mean, it, just to add on that, wouldn't it probably Justin, you know better than anyone? But it probably would have been worse than that, right? Especially for a lot of the other nations where there wouldn't even be goalkeeper coaches. Yeah, it. I, it it was a little more advanced by then. I mean, Tony Tony DeChico, the, the manager of the American team, he he made his career as a goalkeeper coach. Um, so I know that Brianna Scurry would have had good coaching at least. But yeah, you know, a lot of it, a lot of what we take for granted today was at best in its infancy then, or or didn't exist. Um, and Tony DeChico, I... to his credit, but it could have gone very wrong, told Brandy Chastain, who was a right-footed player, to kick with her left foot. Yeah, which was obviously like. That was more of a – was that his, like, goalkeeper brain? Well, she had missed quite a few penalties. I mean, that, I think the genesis for that was that she was somewhere around 50% for her career, which is not a good number. Right. And uh, so he suggested, you've got – you're a two-footed player. Why don't you Why don't you give it a try left-footed? Okay, so we get the Chinese kickoff, and it was um, Ji Hulin who hit hers into the right-hand corner of the goal, um, and then Overback hit hers bottom left. Two things from these early parts of these penalties. Um, one, like you said, the weird camera angle. The camera was actually from the side of the stand, wasn't it? So uh, that was very bizarre. But the other thing, Justin, maybe you can help answer this, is um, for the first couple of penalties, certainly the Chinese keeper, and I think maybe the American one as well, didn't move. They sort of stayed in their right position. Uh, they didn't sort of ch- um, chance it either way, did they? Yeah. Um, you know, that's that's one tactic. One strategy is to say someone may be waiting for me to move and, and, and they're going to play a shot relatively centrally, so I'll, I'll wait and, and react to the shot. If you watch, though, and I, I absolutely recommend everybody get on YouTube and watch these penalties. They're on in their entirety on YouTube uh, because it's absolutely amazing Brianna Scurry, the American goalkeeper, doesn't move right or left, but she takes three genuine galloping steps forward off her line, and she's unbelievably far off her line by the time the ball is struck. It would absolutely never fly today, not even with VAR. I just I don't understand how the referees allowed it to happen in this case, and I don't understand why the Chinese didn't complain. 
Exactly. So this was um, Liu Ying taking the third penalty. Um, apparently she was the first non-substitute player. Oh, so the previous two penalties uh, takers had been substitutes for China. I don't know whether she was sort of knackered as well. But yeah, uh, she took her penalty. And the American keeper, I can't remember, sorry, you have to forgive me her name. But she literally came about sort of a good four feet off her line as she dived to the left, didn't she? You, did you uh, see this as well? Was, that was my note. My note was that she'd gone full D-dub, full Buffon. Yeah. 2003 Champions League finalist. <laughs> um, and again, forgive me, just you'll be able to remember, again, just what was, the, was, what was the rule regarding penalties and being on the line at that point? Because obviously it's, it's changed and a lot was made from that 2003 Champions League final. But right. was she, what, was that an infringement at the time? Yes, absolutely. You had to have both feet on the line at that time. It's only recently been changed to one foot, but you had to have both feet on the line when the ball was struck back then. And, and she, again, anyone that watches it, you'll see she actually literally runs. It's, it's these running, galloping strides to get three or four steps off her line by the time the ball is struck. I think it's kind of accepted. Um, I've been watching recently the... I saw the 91 uh, European Cup final. That went to penalties between uh, Marseille and Red Star Belgrade. If you look at some of the players, the goalkeepers there, they were coming sort of the same sort of distance off their line. I, I just seem to remember it was very much an accepted thing, wasn't it? It's only really the last World Cup I remember anyone pulling goalkeepers up on it. Yeah, it's it's, it's definitely more recent. With I think, you know, with... with uh... The high de- the high definition era made it very clear just how far off goalkeepers were coming, and uh, and now of course VAR. Um, fortunately, I don't think uh, in most places they use VAR to to overturn saved penalties based on this. But you can you know the referees know it's being seen, and so they're much more strict with 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 it, calling it. Okay, so uh, Liu Ying misses her penalty. Um, Lily hits hers into the top right, um, which I think is the first time the Chinese keeper actually moved. Uh, and then Zhang Wing, uh, she hit hers low to the keeper's left, who came off again. Um, and then Ham, or Ham hit hers. Uh, and it comes down to Justine for the last penalty, Jesse. You're saying she took this yeah. with her wrong foot? Yeah, but Dejiko told her to. Like okay. Justin said, um, he suggested, you know, strike it with your left. And it was a good penalty, this, wasn't it? She hit it sort of far deep into the corner. Yeah, and you could see how, I mean, yes, excited, but also, right, I think, like, genuinely surprised she was. So your emotions as she's walking up to take this penalty, um, what were they? I'll tell you what, go back. It's when the Chinese play missed. Did you give the sort of big fist pump in the air and... Screen, yes. No, I I have always hated penalties. Um, although, like, I can't remember my... I don't know if this was my first, like, actual time. Like, you know, if this was the time I remember watching the, the whole thing. But I, I've just never liked them. They make me anxious and I hate them. And I feel bad for the players who miss. I feel bad for the keepers who miss. I just... They are not an emotional experience that I enjoy. Okay. So do you remember her walking up to take this penalty and then just staying? Yeah. Yeah. So what were you? Oh my God. Were you sort of, again, hands over eyes for you? Or? Yes. And I was standing right next to my father, um, who kept, who I think was more concerned that I would survive and that he would be able to watch this without having to do like CPR on <laughs> small me who was hyperventilating. Okay. Um, so she runs up. <laughs> 
football wrestles in the or uh, nest in the back of the net. What do you do then? You sort of leap in the air and uh, yes, and and you know with the player the the whole line behind her is is just freaking out. She whips her shirt off and and waves it around, and I am screaming until my mom comes running down the stairs to ask what happened. <laughs> shrieking and then the video cut off because my father had put enough you know extra recording time for just you know oh he stopped it yeah i mean we only we we watched like everybody start running and that was it and the video cut off i was so when he recorded, he can't. He, he sort of didn't really account for penalties. He thought the game exactly. was nineteen. Oh my gosh, that was so yeah. So and I was so upset, and he was so upset that I was upset. But then, like Justin said at the beginning, you know, then um, it was replayed on on the news. It was shown on television. That I think showed how not how much it mattered because it mattered, but what a difference the the four years and the win made. So imagine how your poor dad must have been feeling all the way through extra time willing someone to score because he didn't want the end of the tape to run out. <laughs> uh, Justin, how did you feel watching this thing when the final um, penalty went in? Mostly relieved. Um, I, I guess I was either cynical enough or old enough at the time to, to feel like we may have somewhat got away with one there. Uh, the, the Christine Lilly clearance off the line, which was the best chance in, in normal play. Um would have won won the game in most cases, so I just, I just felt relieved because I I knew uh, I knew how important it was going to be to the growth of the game because and again this will sound cynical lots of Americans actually showed up in the stadium to watch the game tuned in on TV to watch the game and had we lost they would have turned off the TV gone about the rest of their day and never given that sport another thought. And so the fact- I don't think that's cynical. I think looking back now, realizing the the significance of the win it must be it must have been so much like do you think they realized that pressure that the continued growth of the sport rested on a win yes i think they did i mean uh, some of them have spoken about it um i I've, I've coached against a few of the 99ers that um carl overbeck is just up the road from me here at duke university and uh brandy chastain is at santa clara i shook her hand after we knocked them out of the ncaa tournament last season that was nice um they, they knew that She's got they were though. playing from more. We'll brag that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did she stick away from I mean, you? That was that, that was an unfortunate element to this, where a- athletes are, you know, supposed to enjoy the luxury of of you know playing for themselves, playing for their their career, playing for their team, and yes, representing their country, but n- not the very existence of their sport, and and that burden was largely on the American team that day because had we in the end, had we lost the game, I think you would have seen a massive drop-off in the level of interest. You wouldn't have seen those players become well-known household figures doing commercials for McDonald's, etc. It just would have been, well, we gave this a look, we gave this a try, and, and now let's go back to, to what we've been used to. Did it get a yeah. to the MLS as well, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think the the impact was felt in the growth of the sport. And I mean, Justin can totally, Justin knows more than I do, but it, it felt in the growth across genders, but also, you know, the the women's league is still struggling, but they're, in large part, they gave, um, 
I'm going to sound cynical. Justin, fix it. I don't want to say it in a bad way. You're just in touch with cynicism. Oh, yeah, I know. I'll just make it worse, Justin. <laughs> I'll make it worse. I don't well, want to say it's the reason that, like, money was given. Like, I... I, I... <laughs> Uh, I mean, listen, there are a lot of corporate sponsorships signed on as well. McDonald's, Gatorade, MasterCard, like like yeah. the big Visa, big, big names signed on, and it and it paid off. And so I think when you ask Chris if it helped the men's game, what it did is uh, Americans are absurdly optimistic, relentlessly optimistic to a massive, massive fault. It's just the reason we have a lot of the problems we have. Everybody sees terrible situations and thinks it'll be okay with, with no reason behind that. So the women, women winning the World Cup, I think a lot of Americans and certainly people uh, um, nebulously involved in the game on the corporate side, on the marketing side, said, okay, now let's do this with the men. Won't that be great? And there was a buy-in. A lot of people said, yeah, okay, well, that'll work. We're growing a league here. And you know, people didn't understand the realities of the world game and where the United States fits in with that. That That is when that sort of relentless optimism works in your favor. And, and in the end... Um, MLS did establish itself in the years to come, uh, and I, I do think the two are related because the women's team and the women's World Cup put the sport more into the consciousness of the casual fan who may have never tuned in otherwise. And um, ladies didn't win again until, uh, or women didn't win again until 2015. Is there a reason for that long gap at all? Yes. The rest of the world, caught, the rest of the world, the rest of the world caught up. We had a head start um, in this country because women's sports, and I don't mean to get technical, but but we have something here called Title IX, um, and it is uh, federally mandated that there is equitable spending across the board for for men's and women's sports at the at the school level, at the club level, the collegiate level. It doesn't mean exactly the same spending, but it means you know, equitable to a certain degree. So for people who don't know this, American football at the university level in this country is absolutely massive, um, way beyond what it, you would think it should be. It's like a professional sport, 100,000 people in stadiums. It's just absolutely massive. So it's extremely expensive to put on these events. It's expensive to have an American football team. And so, for instance, at, at NC State where I coach, We've got a football team. They play in a 55,000-seat stadium that fills every Saturday. Their operating budget is enormous. And because of that, women's sports have to be funded somewhat equitably to that. That means our program, our women's college soccer team, essentially get treated like professionals in terms of the level of training facilities and, and gear and travel and meals, all of it. So we can offer that to players in this country that the rest of the world couldn't compete with. So our players got to grow up in this environment that, that sort of groomed them for, for, for professional competition. Um, and so we had a massive head start because of that. Then in the 2000s, you started seeing the Scandinavian countries, Germany, France, some of the South American countries, certainly Brazil, Japan. All of them just caught up. They all they all started prioritizing the women's game, seeing what could be achieved from it, and and the early advantage the Americans had largely disappeared for a while there. And do you get uh, today um, Alex Morgan, Megan Rapinoe, uh, Carly Lloyd, Lloyd um, those players that won last year? Did they hark back to this nineteen nineteen quite a lot? Did they were they a big inspiration? 
Yeah. You know, there's actually a little tension between the 99ers and, and a lot of the, the teams that have come since then. People that are interested in, in, in gossip and things would, would probably enjoy some of what's happened because there, was, there were holdovers and carryovers. There were some young players on that 99 team that then played in the next several World Cups. And the lightning rod was Hope Solo, um, who I think a lot of people know as, as the, the goalkeeper who, who took over from Brianna Scurry. And she clashed pretty publicly with some of the t- players from the 99-9 team. Um, and there have been some l- running battles in the media and on Twitter since then. Um, and so, yeah, I'm sure they would all say they were inspirations. I mean, people like, like, like Michelle Akers and Christine Lilly and, and Mia Hamm were absolute heroes to those girls. But some of the ones who continued to play, um, it, it, wasn't always, it wasn't always amicable. Uh, between the 99ers and the generations that came after. I think that middle middle team, who was also quite successful, Hope Solo, Abby Wambach, um, who had successes of their own, sort of bore a lot of the um, brunt of expectations in in being that transition. Um, And, and yeah, Hope Solo, you know, you, where I think... um, and again, I'm 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 coming at this from a biased perspective, where I think that some male players can get away with being a personality, and I'm not condoning anything that Hope Solo did or said. You know, that's it's not as easy for for women to um, get over incidents. What did she do or say? I'll give you the specific thing she did. She she took over from Brianna Scurry because she was the better goalkeeper. Uh, Brianna was a great goalkeeper. Hope took it to the next level. There was a time when they were both still in the squad, and at one of the World Cups, um, the the manager at the time, whose name I've forgotten, decided to play Brianna Scurry against Brazil instead of Hope Solo because he said she's got a better record against Brazil. And that harkens back to a previous Brazil that didn't have Marta. It wasn't as good as they became in the the 2000s. And that game went disastrously bad. I think we lost 4 nothing, or and a couple of the goals were questionable from, from Scurry's point of view. Concussive and, syndrome as well. Jesse said there's an expectation that female athletes will just be polite all the time. And Hope Solo wasn't. She said that was a terrible decision. I'm, a, I'm the better goalkeeper. I should have played. Yeah. It's not dissimilar to the Jens Lehmann-Oliver Kahn feud that went for a decade uh, where they both took their shots at each other through the, through the media. But it was it was shocking to people because they didn't think that that female athletes behaved this way. And again, I think that was an important grow up moment for this country to see. Yes, they do. They're competitive. They get frustrated, and they speak their minds. Yeah. Look, I think you know it's important to mention the backlash against Brandi Chastain as well. Like she took her shirt off. This was before the yellow card for taking your shirt off. She was. The war, it was as if she had starred in a pornographical pornographic movie in front of children. She was you know, the, wrong, the, she? Yeah, yes. But the reaction, the reaction from most of America, mainstream America, was that she had done something offensive and and scarring to to children. Because still to this day, I think there's this thought that the the audience for women's sports is 
you know, more wholesome. It's women and children and families. Um, and so female athletes need to need to tailor their language and behavior and be role models when, you know, I don't think athletes necessarily sign on to be role models. And that is really problematic to both the athletes themselves and the audience to sports. Um, it, it holds a lot of people back. I think it holds boys from feeling like they can engage in women's sports. I think it is, um, whatever. You don't want me to, you don't want to listen to my, you know, giant speech, but, but back then, um, there was definitely a lot of pressure on these women to be polite and to be role models and to um, hold themselves up for the next generation of girls. That's hard. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, um, that was the Women's 1999 World Cup final. Jesse, I had no idea there was a World Cup final in 1999, nor a Women's World Cup. So I've had a very pleasurable afternoon researching. So thank you very much. But I'll give you the last word. Uh, anything else you want to say on this? I'm just really excited for when we could do a World Cup that Adam was alive and unaware for. So thank you guys for indulging me. You're alive. No, really, truly, this was um, this was my, I think, my defining football moment. So I very much appreciate all of you um, letting me have this this very selfish football moment. No, it has been wonderful. Right. Um, brilliant. So, um. I, I'm trying to think how I end this now. Uh, <laughs> so whip your shirt off and wave it around is how you usually end it. That's what I'm going to do. Nobody needs to see that. Okay, so, right. So uh, we are envisaging COVID lockdown to carry on a little bit longer. So there'll be another one of these episodes uh, next week. I forget whose choice it is to choose, Adam. Is it Scott's or I suppose? Um, we'll work it out. We'll work it out. So listeners, we'll get something for you. Uh, next week um i think there's going to be more championship manager podcasts coming from ourselves um and uh we've got a new twitter account haven't we adam we have yes which is um i think just bear with me one second do what? i follow it well i tell you what guys you, you, you pinpoint your socials guys so jesse how do they follow you uh, at Jesse Loesch. I think I follow all of you now, too. Okay. That's good. Justin, how do they follow you? At Keepers underscore Union. Okay. And Adam, how do they follow you? Uh, Adam, I say 101. Okay. Yes. Our new football manager um, Twitter app is, or uh, Twitter account is FM underscore OTP. So that's FM underscore OTP. So we're all sort of quite big uh, football manager players on our uh, WhatsApp group. So um, we are... Um, uh, so we're sort of, rather than playing our football manager uh, games through WhatsApp, we're sort of doing them, um, doing them sort of through the medium of Twitter. So give that a follow after I've uh, publicised it so brilliantly there. Um, if you like what you hear, you can rate reviewers on iTunes. Uh, you can download this from iTunes, Acast, uh, Stitcher, or Spotify. Uh, you can subscribe, and all your emails, uh, all your episodes, sorry, will fall automatically into your inbox. We are at Man of the Post on Twitter and Instagram. And you can give us a like on Facebook too. So, Justin, thank you very much. Thank you. Jesse, thank you. Thank you. Adam, thank you very much. No worries. And always remember to keep your...